0: Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, what's everybody? You're listening to the Preacher Boys podcast a podcast that is devoted to exposing and shedding a light on abuse within the independent Baptist movement. On today's episode, I sit down with Stephanie helms Kilsen. I've known Stephanie for a couple years now, and we talk about what led her to give up her job as a school teacher in Hawaii for an independent Baptist school. We talk about her background in the independent Baptist movement, we talk about her work as a teacher, and we talk about what it was that prompted her to leave. It's an awesome conversation, and I don't want to take any more time before we get into it. But I do just want to say two things. One, if you like this episode, please, please, please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and be sure to share this with your friends. Just make sure you get the word out about this project. Number two, I do have a way for you to support the project financially. So if you want to head over to PreacherBoysDoc, that's com, you can find how you can support the Preacher Boys project. All right, let's get on with the show. Stephanie, thank you so much for jumping on a call with me and uh, doing a quick interview.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Perfect. So can you tell me what your introduction was to the Independent Baptist
1: Movement? Um, Well, we had done uh, Southern Baptist kind of churches um, when I was growing up until my mom married my stepdad when I was like eight. And so we started going to an IFC church in Texas, and I couldn't really tell any difference like the kids program was way more lively than what I was used to. But, right. um, it just seemed like we're going to church and that it still says Baptist. So I did never really give any thought to it, but, um, we moved to Kentucky and then we went to another independent Baptist church, but it was really, uh, Bob Jonesy, I guess. Like I didn't know that it was any different than anything I'd ever been to before. And, um, when I started like middle school, we moved to a little suburb of Lexington, Kentucky. And um we got involved in a very Hylesy independent fundamental Baptist church. And um I had complete buy-in. Like um it took me a little while to get there, but um after a while like I I dressed the way that they did. It was skirts and culottes only and um I was like getting rid of secular music out of my life and like sneering even at my parents that they would listen to secular music. And it was just really silly. Um, And uh, I believe that it was 100% correct so much that I was wanting to stake my life on it. Like whenever you go to youth conferences, we would go to Shawnee Baptist Youth Conference and we go to Indian Creek Baptist Camp. And I think one year we went to First Baptist in Hammond and we only went, went once. But um it was like, okay, so you get saved and then you surrender to full time Christian service and then there's really nowhere to go from there unless you marry a preacher or something like in that capacity. And so um that's what I wanted. And so um I I went to Bible college in Arkansas in Hot Springs. And um while I was there I I totally bought into the college rules because I figured if God wants me here, then he wants me to obey all of these silly rules. And, um, it's not a matter of it being sinful for me not to wear pantyhose, but it's sinful for me not to abide by the rule that I signed and said that I would obey while I'm here. And so, and that way, I guess I was pretty legalistic, um, about making sure that all of my I's were dotted and all my T's were crossed because I wanted to do everything just right. Um, Probably, um, partially, because I love the Lord, but also in big part because it was like a hovering, scary thing that if you didn't do everything just right, you would miss God's perfect will for your life. And you would marry the wrong person, and you'd wind up in the wrong place, and you'd have the wrong kids. And it was just this looming fear of if I do anything outside of God's will, then I'm going to get squashed and I'm going to hate my life, you know?
0: Right. So, so... Just to pause really quick. So, you mentioned, um, th- I, I know there's some listeners of the show that maybe aren't as familiar with like some of the different sects of fundamentalism or some of the different um, subgroups. So, when you say, you know, the first school was very Bob Jonesy or the second Jones was kind of Heilzy, wh- what do you mean by that?
1: Well, whenever we went to um, the first independent Baptist church that we were a part of in Kentucky, um, they just seemed like a normal Southern Baptist church. Like, um, I think they would use the King James Version of the Bible, but they weren't angry about it. They didn't make it a big thing. And um, the ladies dressed normally, like they would wear pants or shorts whenever we would have activities. And um, it just it felt like just a normal church setting. And whenever we switched over to um, and the church that I was raised in primarily for middle school and high school, um, it was a lot more focused on external, um, things to show how spiritual you were. And, um, it was like girlsy to wear a skirt or a dress or a culottes. I learned what culottes were at that church. Um, and if you're not, then you're, uh, violating Deuteronomy and you're basically a cross-dresser. And just wow. like very, um, very rulesy. And um, I remember I was very resistant to that at first. Like my Sunday school teacher, um, she taught through, oh gosh, it was called Pattern for Living by Marlene Evans. She had that book as her like Sunday school handbook for how to teach us about how we should dress as ladies. And um, one of the things in there was not to dress too mannish which is, I guess, like a really dumbed-down word for masculine, and (laughs) that would include women not wearing pants, because um, according to Marlene Evans, and I don't know what dictionary she used, but um, she said that uh, the word modest means long and flowing, and so if you are supposed to dress modestly according to scripture, then what is long and flowing? That would be a skirt or a dress, and If you're not supposed to dress like the opposite gender, um, what do men wear? They wear pants. What do women wear? Not that. And so I remember asking a ton of questions. And I was like the obnoxious kid that raised her hand all the time. And I was like, but they make women's pants. But skirts can be immodest because some of them can be too tight or too short. And but this and but that. And I'm sure I was such a headache. But I really wanted to do the right thing. And I just didn't understand how they could come up with this.
0: So you weren't trying and, to be um, outwardly rebellious to them. You just wanted to, like, make sure you were crossing your T's, dotting your I's kind of thing.
1: Um, that was, like, early middle school. And at the time, I, I think it might have been more like, this is just stupid. I've never right, heard anything right. this dumb in my life. But um, as time progressed, I went to a youth conference, um, completely separated from this church. But it was at, oh, man, Vineyards in Oklahoma City. Uh, it's really crazy over there. Um, I went to a youth conference at Jim Vineyard Youth Conferences. Uh, do you know that one? Windsor Hills Baptist Church.
0: I haven't heard of the name before. No.
1: Um, they have Oklahoma Baptist College. Um, they're, they're more hiles than hiles. And that makes any sense. Um, but whenever I went there and I was the only person there that I knew, I didn't know anybody. Um, and, uh this guy was talking about dress standards and there alone when I felt like this must be what God wants me to do. And all these other girls are dressed like this. I'd never seen that many women dressed that way. Like this is probably what God wants for me. And God got my attention away from my Sunday school teacher that this is the one way to be. And so, um, like from seventh grade that summer on, I was only wearing skirts, only wearing dresses, only wearing culottes. And I just, I was all in and that I really do think that was out of a desire to do the right thing. Um, but I think that it was really just weird, manipulative, like this is what we like. And so this is what we're going to say the Bible says because it's not in there, you know?
0: So, so what do you think the, what do you think the motive? Cause, cause I definitely see that as well. And I often question like, yeah, this is super manipulative and they try to take the place of God in your life. But why, what, what's the end goal? Like, what do they have to gain from saying like, hey, because if I tell someone, oh, I was in a manipulative group where they try to get guys to wear suits and girls to wear skirts, it's like, what do they have to gain from that? Or what what's the motivation behind trying to do that?
1: Well, I think that part of the motivation is probably, like, some preachers, you can tell that it really makes them happy to see a ton of people at the altar. And maybe in, on one level, it's because they genuinely care about people and they want them to get right with God. Or maybe it's just an ego trip. And I think to know that you have a whole church full of people that dress the way that you think they ought to dress, just based on what you say, because you don't have Bible to back it up. That's right. got to be a huge ego stroke. Wait, every Sunday, Jesus wear a suit? i don't remember that that. (laughs) yeah well i sandals right like that's in there so if you're not ready to unlatch is yeah so it it doesn't make any sense but um my husband and i have talked about this and he'd never heard of the independent fundamental baptist movement until he met me and it it just blows his mind some of the crazy stories that i have and um we were talking about how really i think the emphasis on dress standards perpetuates this over sexualization of girls bodies within the Mm -hmm. movement and that lust is always the fault of the woman if you have a slit that shows the back of your knee or it varies from church to church what the standard is but um just women being told that it's all on them because there's an attire of a harlot mentioned in proverbs and it's completely your fault if the man has wrong thoughts. And it's completely your fault if the man acts on those wrong thoughts because you had on a pair of pants or because you showed your knees or because you had on a sleeveless blouse. Right. Like, it completely removes any responsibility of a man to keep his mind pure and to see you as somebody that's made in the image of God. And it it really furthers this idea that all that women are for is to be a sexual object to make a guy happy and that's just get married and have kids and cook and that's the end all be all of your existence in a lot of people's minds and it's really sad. I think it's really demeaning. And I was reading excerpts from Woman the Completer the other day by Jack Kyle's <laughs> and it was just the like, Oh my women. goodness, <laughs> it is so bad. And saying like the only reason that God made a woman is uh, to tell a man that he's doing a good job at hitting a baseball or climbing a tree or like throwing a football, just crazy stuff. And like it, it diminishes the idea that God created women and he loves them and that he's, right, he's included them in his redemptive plan. And it just makes them feel, it, it just makes women look like they're bad. Like, like yeah, your body is something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Right. And it's like, modesty is a good thing. Like I'm not knocking that, but I think the idea that you are responsible for someone else's actions, Like right. that's, that's not fair. And, um, like it's, that's how I think so many men in leadership that it's been coming out, like have been taking advantage of underage girls and these, these girls just want to do the right thing. And why would this guy in a position of leadership ever want to do anything wrong? This must be okay. And like, just the complete mind bending junk that's perpetuated by that. It's really sad. And I'm very fortunate. Um, I I was never in an abusive situation. Um, no one ever took advantage of me in the ISD movement. And um, when I was growing up, I really do believe that the men that were at the church that I was a part of had as pure motives as exist within the ISD. Right. Um, like nothing like that ever even entered my mind. And I think that's part of what made me think like, this is right, like these guys, like these These are men that want to serve God with their lives. And we had one guy that was a PCC grad, I think. And then we had um, two guys that were Heil D'Anderson grads. And then we had one guy that was a local guy that never went to seminary, but he was really excited about serving God in church. And so, like, these guys were pretty outstanding. And I thought that they just wanted to do the right thing. But whenever we would go to conferences, that's whenever the weird stuff would show up. Like, I remember my my mom and I went to a ladies' conference. They called them the Christian Womanhood Spectacular, which is so weird, Um, (laughs) at First Baptist in Hammond. And I think it was the year after Jack Hiles had died. And um, this woman at a welcome tea asked me and my mom if we had ever gotten an opportunity to meet Jack Hiles. And we just said no. And she was like, oh, what a shame. He was just like having Jesus right here on earth. <laughs> and it was the scariest right. thing I'd ever heard. And I was like, what is wrong with these people? Right. And um, like, I just, I'd never had heard that. But it was really easy for me to isolate that from the church that I was a part of, because that was a five hour drive away from my home church. And I really disconnected that, even though my pastor and the youth pastor had been products of that ministry. I never thought they were that kind of crazy, and I really don't think they are. You know.
0: It, well, there, there's kind of this, and I've I've talked with a couple of people about this, and you know, there seems to be you have the really manipulative cult leader esque, you know, in the case of Jack Kiles, I'm. I'm not very hesitant to say that he was a cult leader. I think that he fits every definition. But I think you have guys like that who do create rules, guidelines, and things out of a power trip. And then I think, like you said, there's people that are very well-intentioned. You would even have defined yourself as this, people who are very well-intentioned, but accept the eccentricities without understanding where they come from. And, Mm -hmm. And so I think there are in every, you know, of course there's good people that attend some of these churches, but that doesn't mean that what they have is right information. And so you have to look at people and make a, make a judgment call of, are they doing this out of manipulation where it needs to be addressed as, Oh, you're being harmful. Or is there people who just need to be educated on, Hey, this is really weird and you should understand where this idea comes from. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, I remember like, Through some of the standards, there were inconsistencies like all over the place. But even with the leadership within my church, one of the youth workers at my church, um, she and her husband had just returned from a vacation, and she like really covertly told me like, "Oh, we went to a movie theater while we were on vacation." And why are you bragging about this to me when you take me to youth conferences where they say that I shouldn't do that? And encouraged me to decide never to go to one again. Like it was just. Like, things like that, like, started showing up and really kind of, like, cracking the veneer of what I thought was just, like, this is how everything is and this is how it ought to be. And, like, I think she was thinking she was going to be cool and approachable and I'm just a teenage girl and I should hear about her vacation. But, it like, stuff like that really confused me because why are we taking these steps to hear – like youth speakers say you shouldn't go to movie theaters whenever you're going on vacation to do it. and bragging about it later. Um, it was just really odd. Um, so from my, uh, my youth group went to the Hammond Baptist Youth Conference one year that I remember. And, um, whenever we got back at our bus Meeting on the next Saturday, um, they asked me how it went. And, like, my pastor was really folksy and really pleasant and very, um, hey, how did it go? And it was in front of the whole bus meeting on a Saturday morning. And I was like, oh, it was fine. And that's not how I talk. It was just very, like, I don't want to talk about it. And he, he was concerned that that was my response. So he asked me later what happened. And that was when Jack Scott had preached his sermon about. Um, If you want to take on all of my standards and basically be just like me, I have a coin that says Responsibility USA on it um, to give to you. And you can come up to the platform and shake my hand or one of these other speakers for the week's hand. And um, that'll be a physical remembrance of the fact that you're going to take up my mantle. And Uh, (laughs) I. Yeah, I remember being so disturbed in that youth conference. And I just went to the bathroom and I was crying, like uncontrollably. And these people were probably thinking I like have some kind of deep sin problem or I don't know what they thought. But I just remember thinking this is wrong and I don't want to follow this guy. Like, and everybody else in my youth group went up and got their stupid coin and felt like they were doing something great and the the guy in my youth group that was like the the golden child of the youth group that everybody looked to I guess like I remember him giving me a dirty look like what come on get up here and get your coin and I was just so bothered and so whenever I told my pastor about that back home he was like oh that that does sound weird and I think he even went to the trouble to order the CD and listen to it and um And he circled back and said, you know, I didn't hear it, but I wasn't there. Like, and they probably didn't record the entire invitation where it got really weird. But I was really thankful for a pastor that genuinely cared about me being concerned about that. And so I don't think it was really until Bible college, never things started getting really like, hmm, maybe there's something off. Because I. There was such a distinction between that youth conference and the way that Jack Scott was being and my home pastor like I, I just figured I'm never going to Hiles Anderson College but that's just up there like that's not how it is anywhere else it's just this one weirdo named Scott up in Hammond Indiana and I just don't ever have to deal with him but um like there were there were issues whenever I went to Bible College I remember I wanted to, so much um, to lead people to Christ I really wanted to see people get saved and I still think that's important I still want people to come to know Jesus but um, there was such a weight of people's blood being on your hands if they don't get saved and if you don't persuade people to get saved then it's your fault that they're going to be damned and it was such a heaviness um, and such a like if you really believe that um, it's it's paralyzing. Like every single person I see is my responsibility. And if, if I don't get to talk to them about Jesus, then they're going to hell and it's my fault. Like that, that will make you lose your mind. And, um, I remember there was one time in Bible college that I got in trouble. I was called with a group of other people to an unproductive soul winner meeting and at this unproductive soul winner meeting, it was people who had not led anyone to Christ for a whole semester. And of course, we had to report um, on an activity report on a weekly basis that, yes, we did go soul winning three hours a week, which is door to door, inviting people to church, and also trying to tell them about um, how to get saved. And so, um, Share the gospel, I guess, halfway through the Romans road with at least one at least one person, and so at this unproductive school winner meeting, me and maybe twenty other people were being reprimanded because we hadn't gotten anybody saved and written about it on our activity report for a whole semester, and we were told that the fruit of a Christian is another Christian, um, which is not what it says in Galatians, and we were told that um you know these people's blood is going to be on your hands if you're not leading people the Lord. And they talked about the parable where some yield 30 and some 60 and some 90 and referenced something else. Um, and they said that if you're not leading 30 or 60 or 90 people to become Christians, then you're being disobedient. And how could we possibly recommend you to a ministry if you're not serving God right now? Wow. And that just devastated me and um, this gentleman that was in charge who said you're either lying about going the three hours or you're not right with God because if you're actually going you should be seeing people saved on a consistent basis and I left that meeting so upset and not that these people were being mean but because I believed what they said and maybe not right with God and why am I not seeing people get saved and all that I want to do is serve God with my life and if they can't even recommend me and get conscience to a ministry then what is there and I right. it just really was terrible and the people that sat in that meeting were honest people who weren't going to say that they did something when they didn't and the majority of those people now are some of the few that are still really trying to do what's right And that really wanna honor God with their lives, and it wasn't just a show. And um like that unproductive soul winner meeting stuck with me. And it was just so hurtful and wrong. And there was such a blatant twisting of scripture that I didn't recognize at the time. But it was there's I don't even know how to explain how wrong it was, but it's it was just a mess, you know.
0: Right. And and so was there ever a period where, like you said, you were all in, but was there ever a period where you didn't feel, because based on your stories, it doesn't seem like it, but was there ever a point where you didn't feel anxious or stressed or fearful? Was there ever a time where you really felt a sense of peace with what you were doing? Or was it more this constant search for approval?
1: Um, I think it was a really weird Uh, balance of the two because I remember for years I whenever I was a little girl backing up um, starting out at the church in Kentucky that um, I was in the youth group that I wanted to be saved but I was very uncertain about if I was and so It was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night kind of church. And every altar call, I would go forward and pray by myself and ask God to save me and forgive me of my sins because I was so scared um, that I was a sinner and I I needed forgiveness. And it never felt like that forgiveness took, no matter how many times I asked for it. Hmm. And so from like age eight, whenever we first started going to that church in Texas, to age 13... I had made a profession of faith at eight years old, but didn't really understand. And so between eight and 13, I would try to get saved all the time. And uh, then at 13, it finally clicked in my head that it wasn't trusting in my prayer, but trusting in what Jesus had done. And God opened up my eyes to that. And I, I put my trust in Christ alone to save me and not my own good work of praying the formulaic thing. Right. And it was a subtle thing, but it was such a huge relief. And so I had instances like that where God really did save me when I was thirteen and I was in a weird, messed up, independent fundamental Baptist movement. But I'm so thankful that God opened my eyes in spite of some weird stuff that I heard. And so there were moments of like, wow, like I this is good and this is right. And um like I I, I was so convinced about uh K J V onlyism that I uh, was pretty antagonistic talking about why do we have a Greek class in Bible college? Right. If we have a real Bible, what do we need that for? It sounds like a waste of time to me. And I was so serious about it. And um, we had a professor come into my college and said something about, and this would be better translated. And I stayed after class and I, I told him what I thought. Like, it it cannot be better translated. We have a perfect Bible. And how dare you ever undermine? And like, I was pretty spicy. Um <laughs> And uh, I, I was doing what I thought was right, and um, it was just all over the place. Um, so whenever I graduated from Bible College, I, um, I got a job, the dream job, actually. I just didn't know it until I uh, applied, of going to Hawaii to be a teacher at a Christian school. And so, um, the gentleman in charge of my Bible college, um, he, his brother-in-law had a Christian school in Hawaii, and he needed staff. And so, I got a two-year contract to teach in uh, on the island of Oahu, and I was stoked. And every day that I woke up, I was, oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And it was every day I get to go to work and I get to teach little kids about Jesus and how much God loved them. Like, that's the dream. And, like, I didn't really care for the Abeka curriculum. it wasn't my jam. Right. And But um, I got to teach scripture songs to these kids. And I got to teach them the Ten Commandments with hand motions. And, like, I got to teach chapel. And, and there were just so many good things about it. But um, I was there for three years. And as time went on, I started to notice things that I thought were really troubling about the way that things operated and about how some of the preaching was. And um like my bus captain, um, who is a pretty prominent person uh, at that church, um I talked to my bus captain saying that I was concerned that we had way too many kids than is legal on a church bus and like we're worried really about safety or something. And she was very dismissive and um it, it just it wasn't an issue. And so I was really bothered by that. Um And then um, there was a gentleman named David Wood. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his 13-point soul winning plan and Operation Go. Um, He has a laminated card that he gives to people whenever uh, he trains them in his evangelism method. Um, But he came to do, a, I think, a soul winning seminar at the church that I was working at. And um, he said that... For every, it was a random number, I guess for every like 37 cents that you give to his ministry, someone will get saved. And it was, it just grinded on me. Like, how dare you say that? That's very presumptuous of you. And it was just very, if you get them to say a the prayer, then they're saved. And um, it, you could be. The most hollow, insincere person in the world, and say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Amen. And uh-huh. that's going to be chalked up to another 37 sinners. Like, well, we got our money's worth. And it was just really appalling to me. And um, there were, like, throughout my time in, um, in the movement, I just heard so many bad topical sermons where they would take Bible verses and just run with them, make them say things they didn't say. Like, um, I heard a sermon called Aaron was on his way by a pastor that just the whole premise of this sermon was that even though Moses was choosing to be disobedient and not do what God told him to do in the first place, Aaron was on his way. And God sent Aaron to accomplish what Moses was unwilling to do. And so whenever you're having a hard time doing what's right, remember, Aaron is on his way. And somebody else can come in and do it for you and help you. And, like, it it was a mess. And there were sinners' prayers so so many times, like, at the end of every service, basically. And I remember... um, just being really uncomfortable after a while inviting my students from the Christian school to church because I felt like if their parents were to come and they were to hear this version of the gospel, it it could be misleading and confusing to them. And they could make a decision but not really truly come to know Christ. It would just be like a hollow formulaic thing like I did between ages eight and thirteen. Like and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So Um, yeah, it was, I was really conflicted, um, for a while. And then to make matters worse or better, um, I had a good friend at the time that was trying to convince me, um, about how God's grace worked different than how I had been taught. Um, and like, I was learning all kinds of stuff from this friend about soteriology and, um, what is monergism and what is synergism and. I, I was just convinced all means all, and that's all, all means. <laughs> like, I don't, whatever you're talking about, you're wrong. Um, but the more that I read my Bible, the more I started to see, like, God's grace really is incredible. And I wasn't just a pawn that, okay, God saved me. Now all I am is a tool to do whatever He wants. But God loves me. And, like, God continues to sanctify me if I belong to him to to make me more like Jesus throughout my life. and. It, it's not just because now I'm a salesperson to get more people to join this movement. It's he loves me and there's a value to me because I made it in his image and he saved me from my sins. And so I remember um, I had a ton of questions as a result of this friendship um, that I had written down about election and predestination and foreknowledge and a lot of things that were just really troubling me and I went to the pastor and I was like can you help me understand this and it basically boiled down to well if you believe that that's another gospel and I was like so would that mean I'm no longer welcome on staff here Hmm. and um that was that was the gist of it yeah and so um that that's a problem so after three years um with that being one of the main contributing factors, I, I quit teaching there, um, which sounds like a small thing to quit your job. But I had an unaccredited Bible college degree that is only recognized by similar churches to that one. And I was living in an apartment provided by that Christian school on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where I didn't really have any connections. So as soon as that job was over, then so was my place to live and then so was anywhere that would significantly recognize my degree without having a government recognized credential. And it was really a big change. And um, I was really convinced though that this was the right thing and that I wanted to do whatever was right. And it it was really um, a good experience. Looking back now, like I God provided for me and I had a place to stay and um I was able to be part of the new church plant of a guy that had gone to the same college as me. Um and he was making a departure uh from some of the stuff that we'd been taught to. That's how we met each other, I think. Um at Alohanani, yeah?
0: Right. Yeah. That was
1: so um yeah, like it was a perfect fit. Like that church was such a great place for me to really try to understand like who is God really, and what really matters, and um like what does the Bible actually say about anything? because um, I had such a skewed view of God and his love for me and how grace worked and missing God's perfect look for my life, and um, I don't think I'd ever even mm-hmm. heard somebody preach it, but I had it in my head that if I didn't tithe off of the value of even gifts that I would get from my students, then maybe I was in disobedience to God, and maybe I would miss his perfect plan for me, and maybe I would never get to experience what I was supposed to experience because I didn't tithe off of the first fruits of all of my increase. And so, like, it got to a point where I had to dig into my savings account in order to tithe of these gifts from these really sweet generous families that I was the teacher for and mm-hmm. I started to resent their generosity because I couldn't afford it um and like I just remember living in fear like if I don't do everything exactly right then God's going to be mad at me and I will have missed out on God's plan for my life and um whenever I started to understand like it, it's not a matter of me choosing to do all this the right stuff. It's a matter of God's grace really being sufficient for me. And I didn't contribute anything to my salvation to make myself worthy. And so as I continue to get to know God better, it's, it's not a matter of me being perfect to get God to continue to love me or like me or bless me. Right. And it was a huge paradigm shift for me to go from like this performance-based, I have to do this or God will punish me to I get to do things that are right and that are helpful to other people because I'm thankful that I'm forgiven. And it's not a matter of, oh, well, if I don't do this, then God's going to give me. It's, well, I I enjoy reading my Bible because God wrote that for right. me. Like, it's 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 the same actions in a lot of ways but it's a completely different motivation and it's a freeing motivation because it's, it's not that condemning, like, um, Oh shoot. I forgot to read my Bible this morning. Like now today's going to be a mess and it's all my fault and
0: superstition.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Um, and it, it's totally unfounded and it makes God out to look like a tyrant. Um, and God is, God is holy and, and God demands perfection and that's why we needed Jesus to be our redeemer. And there's no doubt about that, but the the caricature that is presented to people by so many independent, fundamental Baptist preachers is that God is angry and that he's petty <laughs> and he's so, not. So um, I, th- I think yeah.
0: one of the questions I try to try to ask is, you know, When you left fundamentalism, did you leave your faith entirely? And I think clearly, that's not the case. Um, You left back behind that movement, um, but obviously still have a very active faith. So, looking at the IFP movement as a as a Christ follower, do you believe that there's a, a hope for reform of the IFP movement, or do you think it? if you'll excuse the, the term that Daryl Dow used from stuff funny's like, do you believe it's fundamentally flawed to the point where that movement itself can't be reformed?
1: Yeah. Um, I really don't think there's any hope for reform in the IFB because it was built on charismatic men's personalities from the get go. Um, it was, right. It was was Jason Norris, it was Jack Hiles, it was John R. Rice, it was all these guys that had a lot of charisma, (laughs) although they would never call themselves charismatic, but they were charismatic leaders, Um, and uh, their main tenets were all these external standards, like how you look and what you do and don't do, and never really core doctrine, like... after Bible college, I should have been able to explain to you what the Trinity was, but I right. i mean, I couldn't. Um, I could tell you how a woman should dress because <laughs> that's in the Bible. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I really don't think that there's any hope for the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement to get right back on track. Um, but I do think there is absolutely hope for people that are within the movement to get to know God in a real way that isn't so heavy and extra biblical, because it's not like, um, it's not like there's anything wrong with wanting to do what the Bible says. There's just a huge problem with men twisting verses to get you to be their brand of what they want. And um, like, I'm thankful that I was part of, at, at Indian Creek Baptist Camp, that's where God saved me. And were it not for that independent fundamental Baptist camp, Whatever I was 13, whenever God opened my eyes to the gospel, like, I mean, God could have saved me and probably would have saved me in a different way, but I'm really right. thankful for youth workers that invested in me, even if sometimes they were inconsistent. And for a pastor that really cared about me and, and wanted to know what was wrong with that conference and what did Jack Scott say? And my parents, like my mom and my stepdad, they they didn't have any weird ulterior motive in getting me to go, go to church. And if anything, I embraced these extra biblical standards more than they did because they still right. would listen to like country music and like dress normally. and Like I, it was like my weird hobby, I guess. Um, but no, I really don't think there's hope for a form within it, but I do think that there is hope for people within the movement to get to know God in a different way. Um, and uh I remember whenever I was in Bible college, um, there was this one preacher that got up in chapel and said, if it's not Baptist, it's not Bible. And if you take the word Baptist off of your church, you take the blessings of God mm. out of your congregation. And I remember being so mad about that, that I went to my Dean of Women and said, I don't think I can go here anymore if that's what we think. <laughs> and my Dean of Women was like, um, he's an older gentleman. And he doesn't reflect the perspective of everyone here on staff. And I -hmm. can assure you that that's not how it is across the board. And so even in that, like the movement is so fractured and fragmented. Like, and there's uh, some churches that are like, oh, like, well, we have drums in our services and we let women wear pants. Like that, that's still focusing on the externals and not really focusing on getting to know God better. And so just because now your topical sermons aren't about how people look and dress, they're still topical sermons, and you're still repackaging the same formula of um, how to start the world's biggest Sunday school that you learned back in the day. It's just rebranded, but it's the same kind of shallow teaching, and I I don't say that because I believe that these people are shallow. I think there's a lot of depth to people that want to serve God with their whole heart, but I think that there's a shallowness in the understanding of what the Bible says and who God really is and his character that can stunt people. And um, I, I just, I don't think that there's hope for that movement that is so seated in in rules and outside of standards. Um, I I don't think that it could ever come back because it never was in the first place. It was always based on people's personalities and men that have a lot of charisma
0: that people right. want to follow like any other cult. Hmm. Well, that's, um, I was going to end on that question, but you actually said something that I think is important to discuss because one of the biggest pushbacks I'm getting from, you know, doing the show from people who are within the IFP movement is that argument of, well, it is so fractured. There are such varying beliefs, but you know, even if you can't necessarily put your finger on it, which I think I, actually kind of can. Um, there is commonalities that bind pretty much all churches uniformly within that movement. And so I guess a question I might want to end on is actually, what do you think makes a IFB church an IFB church? And I think you may have hit on some of that already, but I'm curious to to hear your answer to that. To To people who would say they're independent, so they don't reflect each other, what would be your response to that?
1: Um, I think one of the biggest earmarks of an independent fundamental Baptist church is that the pastoral uh, team, be it one man or a few men, has no accountability. Um, And, like, if if you're an independent fundamental Baptist pastor, nobody, nobody holds you accountable for what you say in the pulpit or for what you do whenever you're not there and you live your life. I think that's one of the biggest problems. Um, I think the emphasis on making decisions and this constant pressure to to do more or to stop doing something wrong that you've been doing, I think it's exhausting. And I think that after a while, it's, it just wears on people. And there is absolutely a reason for people that love Jesus to continue to get sin out of their life But to get things out of their life that aren't even simple and they just yield to this pastor's preferences, I I think that that's that's harmful. And so, yeah, I think the ultimate authority of leadership is is a problem. Um, And um, a lot of them would say, well, that's because I stand on the word of God and the Bible is their final authority. And you know what? The Bible is God's word. But the way that some people throw it around, and uh, was it Calvin that said like uh, the Bible and a and a lunatic's hand is like a sword, and and the hand of a I don't even know the color anymore, but well, like he can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so like it's it can be really harmful. um But the problem isn't the standards per se, because I mean, whatever, you can dress however you want. You can, whatever. But I think the problem is this feeling of absolute authority over people. Right. And I'm sorry.
0: uh, I was going to say, no, I think that's, I think that's really good. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And um, so, so what would you say to someone, if you could talk to yourself when you were first, involved in everything, when you were at the height of your involvement, or if you could talk to someone who's in, who is, uh, who's currently in a similar position, what would you say to them?
1: Um, I would say that the same grace that saves you from your sin, whenever you do really come to know Jesus, it continues to work in your life after that day. And that that you're not just a pawn that God doesn't care about. Like God loves you. And hes he hasn't forgotten you um, now that you're saved. And I, I used to think that uh, it was a waste of time to hang out with Christians because, well, I don't have to worry about them. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, that's how I thought God saw me. Like, I was a waste of time because, well, now I'm forgiven, so I don't count anymore. And that was just such a wrong view. And um, that... Uh, you're not responsible for other people, other people's salvation. Like you're responsible to be obedient and, and talk to people about the gospel, but you're not responsible to twist their arm into making a, a decision or into coaxing a, a conversion experience out of someone. That's, that's not our job. Um, and also that you really can leave. Like, um, I didn't have anything I didn't have a career to fall back on, but I knew that that wasn't really who God was, the way that the church that I was working for was presenting him. And I knew that um, the more I sat under bad teaching and um, was a part of that system, the the more frustrated I became. And I just, I knew like there's there's got to be something better. I actually was reading the nine marks of a healthy church by Mark Dever while I was working there and I couldn't finish it. Cause I would just get so frustrated. Like this is not what I'm a part of. Right. Um, and, uh, like just because there are bad men doesn't mean that God is bad. And I think there are so many men that have just, just, muddied the name of Jesus by their awful actions that they do in his name, or um, because of the position of leadership and power. And that's not who God is. And that God is angry at the kind of abusive situations that these men are creating for people. And they don't picture him at all. And if you have any kind of anger towards the evil that these men have done, that it is good and right to be angry over because God's not okay with that. Um, and yeah. So um, I know that was kind of all over the place, but yeah, if if I could go back and, and talk to me, I think that's the kind of stuff I would say. And also just to keep reading your Bible because you can, you can listen to somebody teach it, but whenever you really spend time in God's word, like that's, that's how God talks to you. And it he doesn't yell at you and and add extra syllables to words to sound dramatic. Like it's it's, it's word and it's it's alive and powerful and and life changing. And that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so preaching's great. And I'm I'm part of a great uh, church here in Los Angeles now. But um, like just to know that we don't we don't have a pope. We don't need one. Like Jesus is our mediator, and we get to go straight to Him, and He loves us. Like, there are so many basic fundamental <laughs> basic, fundamental things, um, but basic foundational things about who God is and how we relate to him that I think that I didn't really grasp um, when I was part of that movement. And that prayer is a privilege, and I get to talk to God anytime I want, and that I can pick up the Bible, and I, I can get a glimpse into the mind of God anytime I want. Like, those are huge, wonderful things. And there's there's just such a a great a great experience to knowing the God that made you, and and knowing that He loves me when I wear pajama pants in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, like what would you do if Jesus came to your door and saw how you dress at home? Like, what kind of silly question is that? And how many times did I hear that (laughs) more than you would think? You know, like like God is so much bigger than a brand of an I of church.
0: Right. That's so awesome. Well, I know we, uh, I know we're running out of time. So I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I think that's a such a good spot to, to stop. Um, even though I could talk about, I mean, obviously I could talk about this for a long time because I'm going to be doing many episodes about this, but um, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and, and uh, really getting into the, you know, I love talking about some of the uh, the natural occurrences and things that have happened, but I do like getting into those kind of more philosophical conversations about what's causing this. I think that's an important conversation to have, and it gets left out sometimes, unfortunately. So, I really appreciate. Well, I think it's
1: really sad when people throw out the baby with the bathwater and right. they just give up on God completely because these people have really made Him look bad. Right. And like, I'm not, I'm not angry. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not over over God, but I, I just have a completely different, I I really believe more Bible-based understanding of who he is now, you know?
0: Right. And I can speak to it too. Like I'm, I'm still a believer as well. And you know, for me, it was the closer I got to Jesus, the further I got from the IFB and you know, that's when I share my experience, that's pretty much the best way to describe it. And so Yeah, I definitely encourage you guys, like even some of the books that Stephanie mentioned, you know, if you're listening to this, I would definitely pick up, um, you know, don't be afraid to research, study. um, And honestly, if you're in a place where they forbid you from studying, that's a good indicator that it's probably not a great place to be. So, but um, yeah, thank you so much for for jumping on, for having this conversation. And I know it's going to help a lot of people because there's a lot of people who, are sitting where you sat not too long ago.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to me. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.